it's as hard as you make it. For me, I knew I knew nothing about medical, and so the only way I was gonna be able to do this is if I found a medical person to partner with. So I spent the beginning of this uh, recruiting, looking for somebody that I can bring in that could handle the medical side, because I didn't have that knowledge and I wasn't about to get it. Um, now, it makes you less profitable to begin with. Like, if you are a medical professional, if you are a nurse, especially, you could start this business and be profitable from day one because you could operate it fully. For me, it'll take me, it would take a little longer to get profitable, but, you know, that's just, you know, par for the course if you're coming into an industry where you don't have that background. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I get the pleasure of interviewing Antoinette, and we're going to be talking about assisted living, real estate investing, good old just financial management and budgeting. So if you are looking to be better with your money, to have maybe another strategy or asset class that you can invest your money into to create financial freedom, this is going to be the show for you, so stay through it. We're also going to talk about how Antoinette transitioned out of her W-2 job. So many of you I know that listen to this podcast are still working a W-2 job. So if you want to get rid of that job, this again might be the episode to listen to. Antoinette, thank you so much for coming on the show. Take us into it right away. Like, What were you doing in your W-2 job and how did you know it was time to leave? Well, thank you for having me. Um, for me, I always knew it was time to leave because I never wanted to be there, right? Like, so in college, I had all these big dreams about what I would do, and that never included working for somebody. But then I also had student loans. So the reality of the situation was I, I probably should take a job so that I could pay, pay those loans back. Um, so it was always like a means to an end being in corporate. Um, so I came into it like, I'm just going to do this, pay off my student loans, and then, you know, save up, chase a dream and figure out what I really want to do. But after a couple years in the environment, you start to get comfortable. You get used to those paychecks showing up regularly, bonus checks, um, per diems when you're traveling for work. So it starts to get really cushy. You get comfortable. And for lack of a better term, you start to forget that you had dreams before you entered that environment. So, so that was me. I knew I was an entrepreneur or that I didn't want to work for someone, um, but I didn't know what I would do for myself instead. So I took a job in the meantime with the hopes that that would help me position myself to find myself. But instead, I just got deeper and deeper into, you know, what I call that trap. Uh, and it took about eight years to finally wake up again and realize, hey, this is not what you wanted to do with your life. Do something else. Yeah. And what you're saying is right along the lines of what Kevin O'Leary said, right? A salary is something that they pay you to forget your dreams. So what was the process then for you of discovering what your dreams were? Like, did you just kind of like, like what was igniting inside of you? Was it just like the frustration of the corporate world or how did that start to stir up in you? It was not ever feeling like I fit there. So it was never an environment that I felt like I fit into. It always felt like I was an imposter, that everybody else was around me, should have been there and were really into this. And I was just there like, are we experiencing the same thing? Like, so this makes you happy? Um, so always feeling out of place. Um, and then eventually you get to a place where you decide Either you're going to compromise your own values to try to fit the mold, or you'll stay true to yourself, knowing that when you choose to stay true to yourself, that will probably limit your opportunities in that particular environment. Um, so there was that. 
There was also being able to give me, see- Give me some examples of this, like staying true to yourself. Was that like being blunt with people and saying what was on your mind that and that would tick people off? Or what, what was being true to yourself for you? It was, I didn't pretend, right? Like I didn't suck up to people to try to get opportunities or advancement. I didn't pretend to be all about something and live, eat and breathe selves because that wasn't true for me. I would come and I would do my job. I would be uh, respectful and polite, but I didn't put on a show when everyone else around me was because it's a, it's a, it's a sales environment. It's very competitive. Um, that's also having boundaries, which you're not supposed to have on salary, right? Like if I am home and it is after 6 p.m., I'm not answering the phone if you call me where my counterpart would because they were living and breathing it and trying to put on the show of I'm all about this. This is all my life is, but I still had a life outside of that. So I'm going to show up. I'm going to give you the hours that you're paying me for, but outside of that. So I wasn't willing to do the extra at the detriment of my mental health or my life. So you started prioritizing your life. And did that negatively impact the way the company viewed you or did it negatively impact just your own internal thoughts about how you fit? Uh, definitely, you know, I won't say that it negatively impacted the way the company viewed me because from the company standpoint, my objectives and the things that were expected of me were done. But the people that move faster, they always have that little extra. And I, I would assume that I definitely was not viewed as the person that was going to do the extra or go above and beyond or that loved it and was about to be a lifer and in this company long term. I definitely didn't give off that vibe. Um, and I just, I couldn't. It was never going to be who I was. It was never my intention. And I didn't pretend or lie and act like it was. So I'm sure that hurt my career progression. But such is life. So as that hurts your upper trajectory, you still obviously have goals and ambitions. And is that where it started to be like, hey, I need to go to a place where I'm fully me and I, I don't limit my trajectory? It was that. I didn't fit in. I had no interest in what I was doing. And then I started to see, like, other people were happy or appeared to be. Um, and then I met my boyfriend and he was pursuing his dream career. So I was like, man, you know, you could actually go to work every day and like it. So what would that look like for me? And so I thought about the last time I had a job that I didn't hate going to. And it was my job in college, working for a local entrepreneur. He was managing properties, building new construction. That was exciting to me. I enjoyed that. So I said I'd buy a house that needed a little work and do that project. And if I still enjoyed doing things like that with property, then I would try to focus on shifting my career in that direction. Now, I didn't know what that would look like, but, you know, I was willing to at least do that base level experiment to see, is there any interest here? You know, maybe I'll be a real estate agent or something like that. So I didn't know what the end would be. I just knew that that was the last thing I enjoyed doing. So I was going to try it again. Cool. So next step, you buy a house. Like, take us through the progression from there. Oh, that was a shit show. I'm st <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I bought, put a contract on a house in April that was supposed to close in June. It was an older house, 1956, classic pink tile, green, blue carpet. You know, it wasn't pretty, but it was in a great neighborhood. And um, the day before that June closing, the seller died. So that didn't happen. So we had to go into probate, which was going to take, you know, six to 12 weeks. 
We get through that only to find out that the probate was filed in the wrong county and now needed to be refiled in the correct county. And in that process, the lender that I was with, after like a series of interest rate lock extensions, they were tacking on all these fees. So I had to switch lenders on top of that. So from an April contract that should have closed in June, we finally closed on that house in November of Whoa. that year. So it was just a long, I had let go of my lease. So there was just a long waiting time of like crashing at mom's, slightly homeless, waiting to figure out what's going to happen with this house. But then the house also needed a considerable amount of work. So even though we closed in November, we had to work on it for five months. So we didn't actually get to move in until April of the following year. So it took one full year just to get into the house. Um, but through that process, people would always say, you know, you can back out of this contract. Are you sure you want to buy this one? Do something else. But I felt like it was the test, right? I had said I wanted something different and wanted to, to figure it out. And that test in patience for the time that it took to wait to finally get that property, we physically did the rehab and the work with our own hands. So just the five months of YouTubing and trying to figure out how to do construction, um, all of that, I think, probably is the best preparation for becoming a real estate investor and, and coming, going that direction. And how much did you love that house? How much did you love the process? Um, I didn't hate it, right? I did not hate it. I hated going to work every day. I was sure of that. This may have been uncomfortable and not the most fun and taxing, but I didn't hate it. And so that was enough to keep going, to see through to the end. And in the end, that end result, seeing what I was able to do with my own hands, the after being like a hundred times better than the before, it was totally worth it in the end. So now that you had done one in the future flips, was it better because you had already seen the, you know, end from the beginning type of thing? Yeah, I knew what I could do now. So that was a test. Like, I think I could be good at this. Let me find out. But, you know, whatever I did wrong, it's cool. It's my house. I'll live with it. So, but now having done that successfully and getting votes of confidence all around me when people saw the before and the after or they were there through parts of the process, now I knew I could do it. It wasn't an experiment anymore. It was like, I know that if I bought something that looks like trash, I could make it look amazing. So now the next purchase or property I'm not wondering or concerned or scared. It's like, oh yeah, I've done it. I know I could do it. Hands down. Yes, let's go. So you start doing some flips. How does that take you into the assisted living facilities? I actually didn't do flips. So I kept everything I bought. I would always buy them old and ugly and do the birth strategy and keep those properties. I didn't actually do my first flip until after I had the fourth rental property. Um, but in that flipping process, uh, the contractor that I was partnering with on my first and second flip, he had a family member that had assisted living and they were doing really well. And he and his wife were considering going that route. Um, and just from some of the things they were sharing me, with me about it, it sounded like a great opportunity. And at the time, all of my properties were doing short-term rental, which, you know, there's not really another rental model that could beat the earnings on that. Um, but with city regulations changing, 
it also wasn't a model that I could continue doing for like the foreseeable future without expecting to run into some issues or have some limitations. So I was looking for another model that I could do within the existing properties I had, but that would be Airbnb. And so the, when he was sharing with me the you know projected numbers for assisted living, that that was that became the thing. So walk us through that. Like what numbers would you have gotten on long-term rents in that area? What would you have gotten from maybe like an Airbnb if it's possible? And how does assisted living perform comparatively? So at that time, this was 2020, let's say. Long-term rents in that area, it was for a two-bedroom, one-bath. Let's say that's like $1,800, city of Orlando. Um, but then on short-term rental for that same two-bedroom, one-bath, I was able to make $3,000 a month. And so for me, it was just like, well, you know, this is a great amount. How am I going to beat that? But when you start learning about assisted living, now you're looking at a by-the-bedroom um, earnings or by the bed. And so I'm hearing things depending on like the type of client that you service around three to 6,000 per person with the ability to have up to five people in, in a home. So for that two bedroom side, that would be four people in that home. So three to six, you know, if one person gives me what I'm earning per month on Airbnb, I can do that times four in the same property. So I, I mean, that sounded like a no brainer. Wow. So just to kind of review here, you're, you're saying one person per bedroom, two people per bedroom. Did I, did I hear well, that for right the, the size of those bedrooms, it would be two people per bedroom. So in that two, two bedroom room. house, mm -hmm. and, you need and 120 you square 3, feet. Per bedroom? 3,000 per person. Per person. So you're talking $6,000 per bedroom. Yeah. And that's the low end. So the, the, the fee that you get paid depends on the services you provide, the clientele you serve, and then their their rating level. You know, you could be a moderate, intensive, intensive one or two. So it depends. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, Many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Now, in these facilities, you have, I'm assuming there's some medical professionals in the house or are on the site, or what does that look like? So specifically for me, we are a residential nursing facility. Now, when most people talk about residential assisted living, 
it could be anything. It could be a recovery home. It could be a halfway house. It could be a home for uh, children that have aged out of foster care. It could be a home for elderly people, memory care. So it's, it depends on your consumer. For us, we are, we are residential nursing. So we have 24-hour staff seven days a week that provide nursing services to the individuals that live in our homes. Wow. How, I mean, I'm assuming you're not a nursing professional, right? How hard is that for you to like to create, to manage, to make sure it's all working? Um, it's as hard as you make it. For me, I knew I knew nothing about medical. And so the only way I was going to be able to do this is if I found a medical person to partner with. So I spent the beginning of this uh, recruiting, looking for somebody that I can bring in that could handle the medical side because I didn't have that knowledge and I wasn't about to get it. Um, now, it makes you less profitable to begin with. Like if you are a medical professional, if you are a nurse, especially, you could start this business and be profitable from day one because you could operate it fully. For me, it'll take me, it would take a little longer to get profitable, but, you know, that's just, you know, par for the course if you're coming into an industry where you don't have that background. So you're running 24-7 care. So like, is that two nurses a day, one each on 12-hour shifts? Is that three nurses that is like a swing graveyard and morning shift? So for us, it's um, two professionals per shift. So one being a nurse, one being a nurse's assistant, and you'll have a day shift and a night shift. So 12 hour shifts that they're rotating through. Uh, Based on the type of uh, consumer or patient that you have in your home, the agency that you're licensed with will give you some guidelines on how many people you have to have uh, on staff for the number of individuals based on their intensity level. So it can vary. So if we just ran, and obviously we're not saying if, if someone invests in this, this won't be necessarily be the numbers for them, but just to give them an idea of maybe what's possible. So if they have a five bedroom house where the bedrooms are big enough for two people, and if their jurisdiction allows it, they're gonna be able to have 10 people in that house, right? So that's 30 to $60,000 a month of revenue coming in what would it cost to staff, roughly speaking, two full-time nurses and two uh, part-time, you know, assistants? Okay. So again, I'll say it depends, right? Because that model that you just described, that sounds more like um, residential assisted living for elderly individuals. That's a different agency and they allow more patients in a home than my agency Mm. where the max is five, no matter what. So the number of people you can have in the home depends on who your uh, consumer is and which agency you're licensed with. So just so they know that. As far as staffing, to have two people on staff per day um, for morning and night shift, our payroll right now is roughly $10,000 every two weeks. So 20000 a month in staffing costs just to keep, and that's at base level. Let's say that's one person per 12-hour shift, six employees. That's what it's going to be. When your house fills up and you have to add additional, for every six, it's fair to assume another $10,000. But on the flip end for that, for the service that we provide, one patient, we earn $18,000 a month for one patient. So on my first patient, but again, this is like, niche. It's a residential nursing. It's usually not the thing that anybody doing assisted living 
knows about or considers. Um, so you're jumping way in the deep end, starting over there. Most people are starting with aged out foster kids or halfway homes where it's going to be more like 3000 per person per month because you're not providing a, a skilled or a licensed service. So, I mean, in theory, if you had one home that was very, very large and you go to the highest level of service and you have a great skill at hiring great nursing and, and getting you know relatively good costs, you can make a lot of money on this model. A lot, yes. But again, for my model, it's five people max, and that can vary by you know whatever your city regulations are. So at max for me, let's say I'm making around ninety to a hundred thousand on a full house per month. Okay. So what are the steps for someone to determine if this process or this thing is right for them? This, it's one of those things where it's like so, it depends. And I'll, I'll have to say that over and over again because there's no one size fits all and there's so many different factions of residential assisted living. The first step is for you to choose which one you want to be in. Like what consumer do you want to serve? For whatever reason that is, what consumer do you want to serve? What product do you want to offer? And then from there, you can back into, okay, if I want to serve individuals that have aged out of foster care, and provide them with, you know, a hostile type environment or shared or private bedrooms, whatever that is, which agency uh, oversees this. And then when you determine which agency oversees that, then, okay, what are their requirements for me to do this? Because there will be an application and different requirements that you have to um, meet to be able to provide that service. Okay, now I have my license for this. Um, what type of facility do I need to have to be able to operate this model and provide those private or shared rooms or whatever setup you've decided that you want it? And then you find your property to fit that. So it's who do you want to serve first? Which agency regulates that? And now what do you need to be able to actually provide that service in terms of uh, the facility, staffing, et cetera? And so if someone's just super uncertain, to what, what options are available? Like what's the best resources that you found to figure out even what different options are possible? I have not found any resources. You know how like with real estate investing at this point, there are a series of podcasts that you can go listen to or some books you can pick up. This is kind of the wild, wild west right now. Like, it's one of those things where all I had was an inkling, right? A little bit of an idea, heard a couple numbers, but I was in a position to just go see what happened because um, there is nothing. And they're even in it, they're still not, uh, uh, I can't pick up the phone or Google something and get answers to any of these questions. It's, it's really a lot of figuring it out as we go along. I will say... Shit, I can't, like, legit. <laughs> this is nothing. I can't help. Um, How did you figure it out? I'm still figuring it out. I did not figure it out. I'm still in the midst of piecing it all together and figuring it, figuring it out. Um, so I, I filled out the application and started that process. And from starting the process, they tell you what else, what other requirements. It's like a back and forth, other things you need to do. So that was the figuring it out, doing it while I went along. I will say that um, the Department of Children and Services, they oversee foster homes and you can research and understand what a foster home is. 
you can do basic research on what a nursing home is and the agency in Florida that uh, oversees that is the AHCA. You can reach out to the Agency for Persons with Disabilities. They oversee housing for disabled people. And in those conversations and the information that's on the website, try to piece something together. But there is not a holistic, like, this is what residential assisted living is. Here are all the factions and here are all the agencies that you need to do that and the different types of things you can do within it. That I haven't found yet. If anybody knows where that is, please share. Um, so once you pick your population that you're interested in, you're, you're hitting the ground running trying to research that. If you want to get scrappy and call a couple agencies that already exist that are doing it and see if somebody will talk to you and share some information, like it's a grind. You're going you're gonna to have to get creative with figuring out how to piece this thing together. Wow. So what is, now that you've got this thing up and running, I mean, $18,000 a person, five people, that's obviously a considerable amount of money. That's financial freedom through one property, essentially one business that you're running. So mm -hmm. what is... What does the next step look like for you? So my goal is to use all of the earnings from this business model to reinvest into passive real estate investments. So larger apartment complexes, commercial buildings, vacation rentals in places that I want to visit that can pay for themselves and then earn some income so that when I exit this business, I'm no longer looking for something to generate income. I will have made enough investments in real estate and other areas where those dividends or the passive income coming from those investments, I can sustain myself from. So, so just so everybody understands, right? I mean, what you're running is a real business, right? And so because yeah. it's not passive, you're saying like, man, this is a great revenue generating business, a great cash flow machine. But if you're really wanting something passive, this is not it, right? So do this no. in order to generate enough cash flow to buy the things that truly are passive, maybe like LP positions and syndications or something like that. And then once you're truly passive, you can exit and sell that property or sell that as a business. Yeah, if that's what you want to do, right? Some people enjoy it, right? For, for one of my partners, she's going to be the person that I pass this thing on to when I exit. She enjoys the day-to-day -day of this. She wants to do it. It was her chosen career path to be doing personal care. So that's what she wants to do. I don't want to work. I would like to do nothing at all or not have to worry about money. I'll probably like go to school to become an herbalist or some shit completely unrelated to what I'm doing right now. So for me, it's a means to an end. But for a medical professional that's tired of the hospital, it could be their alternative, right? They still want to work every day and they, they, they get fulfillment from what they do in the medical field, but they just want to do it in a different environment or with a little more control. Then this is an amazing option for them. For me as someone seeking true financial freedom, it is another means to an end. It is a, a funnel to invest into still purchasing that freedom. What is the number for you? I'm always curious how people come to their numbers I didn't do it. So the whole, if you're familiar with the fire movement and calculating your fine number and all that, this shit gave me a headache. I'm not that good at math. I just, I couldn't calculate a number, the 4%, none of it made sense to me. So rather than calculating my number, I needed what I knew was my number of expenses per month. And then I used creative strategies like house hacking, different budgeting techniques, to eliminate that number and get that as close to zero as possible. 
So now there wasn't a number I had to hit per month. My expenses are gone. I don't have any. So I've been able to wash all of them. Now, any money I make per month is icing on the cake because I'm not using it to pay rent or to pay my mortgage. So quite frankly, I can do very well off a thousand dollars a month. But what I've given myself is a budget of, okay, $3,000 a month, that's more than enough living. Because I don't have any bills due to house hacking and other things, um, I don't need much. So I'm perfectly happy living my same life with just $3,000 a month. Love it. So, I mean, really, this is like you're combining like a very conservative financial principles about living well while not spending a ton of money. And obviously minimizing expenses. So uh, how long do you see yourself in this before you're, you're turning the next chapter? Um, I'm saying five years just because for the license that I have, you have to relicense every five years. So that's a good enough time frame. Ideally, since my original retirement goal was by 40 and I've retired and then kept dabbling, I have two more years before I hit 40. Within that two years, I need this business to run on its own and to have purchased enough things where I have my three to 10,000 a month to be you know, excessive and I'm good. I may still assist with that business, but the goal is to have it self-sustaining within two years. Um, and then by that fifth year, be able to walk away completely and have no ties if I chose. Incredible. Antoinette, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about your life and your business, about how you got into this field. That's a wild, wild west and how you're navigating through it. Congrats on your success of leaving your job and creating a very, very solid cash flowing business. I look forward to hearing an update from you here in a few years where you're not doing anything. I don't know if that's on the beach or where, where that takes you, but uh, guys, if you're out there listening, write down something you learned from today. I mean, assisted living is a great opportunity if you want to run a business, especially in the healthcare industry. I know we have a lot of people that listen from that from that niche, so maybe that's an opportunity for you. Write down something you learned, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable, because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 